verses 1 through 7. Uh, the title of our lesson this morning is To Judge or Not to Judge. Okay? Um, over the years, I've prepared, I don't know how many lessons, I, I wouldn't say probably hundreds of lessons. And ever so often, you'll come across a, a, a scripture or a lesson that deals with judging. And they are by far the most difficult lessons to prepare because the subject of judging is a, is a difficult uh, subject. It's, it's misunderstood, uh, very much so in the Christian community. Um, and, and so, you know, we can ask the question, should I judge or should I not? But unfortunately, the answer to that question is just not that uh, simple. And there's a lot of reasons for that, that, that the, the, the subject of judging is not that simple. One reason is because the word judge has so many different meanings, uh, so many different connotations, not only in the Bible, but also in the English language. I'll, I'll give you a few of those. For example, in, uh, in Romans 14, 5, Paul says this, For indeed one judge is a day to be above another day, but one judge is every day alike. And so the idea here, some of your translations may say considers or regards esteem, but in the Greek that word means to judge. You judge, you, you look at a day and you say, well, that day is more sacred than this day, or that day is more holier than this day. You've made a, you've made a judgment on that. And so one, to, in, in one way the word judge means to value one thing above another. And we've talked about that in the past few weeks. Here's another meeting in in John uh, 7, Paul is, uh, Jesus is telling a, uh, a parable to Simon the Pharisee, and he, he says one man was forgiven $500, and another man was forgiven $50. And he asked Simon, he said, which one do you think would be more thankful? And Simon answered, well, he, says, he said, I suppose the one who he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. In other words, another thing that judge, judging means, it means that you have two options, you evaluate them, you weigh them out, and you choose one over the other. You've made a judgment. Everybody with me? It's just, a, it's just another meeting. Um, in John 7, 51, it says this, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So here, judging has a more common meaning of deciding uh, guilt or innocence. So that's another meaning for judging. And in fact, yes, there is one more. Uh, in Colossians 2.16, Paul says, Therefore let no one judge you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, if, if Paul says, If you want to worship this day or that day, don't let anybody judge you. That's your business. Okay. So the idea here of judging has to be to deal with deciding right versus wrong. Not necessarily guilt versus innocence, but judging something is right or something is wrong. And so... Judging, it can be difficult because when the Bible says judge or don't judge, well, what's it, what's it talking about? Are we deciding guilt or innocence or right versus wrong or are we assigning value? So sometimes you have to figure, uh, you figure all that out. Now, I bring all that up because beginning today in chapter 4 and, and then continuing on, when we get to chapter 5, it's going to get much harder because we're going to start talking about judging people in the church and church discipline. So it's going to get really difficult, but today the subject begins with Paul. He's going to bring it up here in chapter 4, and we're going to ask a lot of questions over the next few weeks. For example, who do we judge? Uh, when do we judge? And, and probably most importantly of all, how do we judge? What parameters do we use to, to judge? And it is a difficult subject. It is not easy. 
um, it's going to raise some difficult questions. For example, one difficult question is, are we to judge others? Now, if I just went out and did a survey in Winn-Dixie, and went to Winn-Dixie and just started asking people, should we judge others? Probably every atheist that walks up is going to say what? No, never. You're not supposed to judge others. And every unbeliever that pops up is going to say, no, you shouldn't. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians is going to say, never. You should never judge others. Now, I'm going to, I'll try to put this as nicely as I can. That is absolute baloney. That is not biblical. It's not scriptural at all. We all, if you come and tell me we should not judge others, you need to think this through because we all know deep down that's not true. That's not true at all. In fact, if we, if we, if we walked out in the lobby this afternoon and somebody was ripping the TV off the wall and running out, what would we say? You're stopped. That's wrong. You're stealing. If your child comes to you and tells a lie and you catch them, you're going to admonish them that lying is, is wrong. And by the way, when you do that, are you judging? Absolutely. You're deciding right versus wrong. And it wouldn't even cross your mind that what you're doing is wrong, would it? In fact, I mean, think about it. Yet, probably the most quoted command of Jesus is found in Matthew 7, 1. Of all his commands, this is probably the one that's known by more people than any other, especially unbelievers, judge not that you be not judged. They can quote that, they, they can't tell you where it is, but they've heard it and they, and they know it. Yet, it's probably the most quoted command, but it's also it's quoted completely out of context. It's never looked at in, in context. In fact, um, if you think about it, is that what Jesus meant? Does he mean that we're never to judge anybody under any circumstances when he says, judge not that you be not judged? In fact, if you take that scripture in isolation out of context, then that, his, his command would prohibit any judging at all, wouldn't it? For example, if, if we believe that, then wouldn't we have to stop preaching against sin? Because when we preach against sin, we're making a judgment that something is, is, is wrong. In fact, if you really believe that we're not supposed to judge, you would have to stop disciplining your children. It would just basically be, uh, whatever, anything goes. I can't judge you. Okay? So, but the fact is, we all know deep down that there's much more to that passage. There's much more to those few words that we have to look at in context. In fact, let, before we get to Paul this morning, let's look at this passage. It's Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Let's, let's read the whole thing. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, immediately after Jesus says, do not judge, he immediately says things that involves judging. Okay? Watch what he says there. Take the log out of your own eye. Remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Okay? Now, let me ask a question. How are we to discern what is a speck and what is a log 
and what is a dog, and what is a pig without what? Without making a judgment. That's absolutely right. You see, the Bible's command that we don't judge others does not mean that we can't discern, show discernment when it comes to their words and, and their, their deeds. All right? Um, you see, Christians are often accused of judging or intolerance when we speak out against sin, but opposing sin is not wrong. When Jesus said not to judge others, he doesn't mean that we can't identify or call out sin for what it is as long as we use God's definition of sin. That, that's not, we know that's not what he meant uh, at all. Anything that contradicts the truth we are, is a what? Is a lie, but when you call something a lie, you're making a judgment, right? You call adultery or murder a sin, you're making a judgment, but you're also agreeing with God. And that's okay. As long as you agree with God, you can say anything you want, as long as we're agreeing with, with God. And we'll talk about that. In fact, just a few verses later in that same chapter, Jesus gives us a direct command to judge. And in this command, he, we have a clue as to the right way of judging versus the wrong way of judging. In, in John seven twenty four, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So here he's telling us, yes, you are to judge, but you're to judge the right way, not the, the wrong way. Now, we'll come back later and look at what does that mean exactly? How do you judge with righteous judgment? Now, over the next few weeks, let me tell you, we won't get into it today. There are a lot of wrong ways to judge. I mean a lot of wrong ways to judge, but there is a right way to do it, okay? And, and we are commanded to judge the right way. And Paul is going to tell us today, today I'm going to give you a guideline for judging. And if you can stick within that guideline, you can judge all you want. But you cannot step outside those guidelines. All right, I'm going to give that to you uh, today. And Paul is actually going to tell us what that is. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 4, and let's read verses 1 through 7. Paul says, This is how one should regard us <clears throat> as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart." then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied these, all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, so that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? Or what do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, when I first sat down this week and I read this, this passage... The first thing that jumped out at me was Paul's uh, statement in, chapter, in verse 3 where he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. Now, the reason that that jumped out at me is because I'm well aware that later in this letter, in chapter 11, Paul says this, but if we would judge ourselves truly or rightly, we would not be judged. So immediately I asked the question, well, which is it, Paul? You, in one hand, you say, I don't, I don't even judge myself. But on the other hand, he tells us we should judge ourselves. So the question becomes for me, well, which one is it, Paul? Do you judge yourself or, or not? Now, as I mentioned earlier, as we 
move later into chapter 5, we're going to have to deal with judging others, okay? Especially Christian brothers and sisters within the church. But in today's passage, Paul is talking about a specific instance or a specific case of judging. Okay, so he's dealing with one specific case uh, of judging. And he is talking today about judging yourself. Now that is entirely fitting and proper that if we're going to deal with judging over the next few weeks, it makes all the sense in the world that we stop. We start right there. Because that's where judging always starts. In fact, Jesus said, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you're going to judge anybody... You, better, you always start with judging yourself. If you don't judge yourself, you're not qualified to judge someone else. You must always begin with judging yourself. And that's exactly where Paul is, is going to start. So let's start with, with verse 1, and let's kind of walk down through this and see how he gets to this subject. In verse 1 he said this, This is how one should regard us, Paul and Apollos, as servants. And that word servants we saw a few weeks ago means table waiters. We are table waiters of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, you remember, one of the problems they're having in Corinth is um, people are lining up behind different teachers, right? they got four or five different teachers, and one group is saying that guy's the best, and another group is saying that guy's the best, and they've got all this division in the church. And so Paul is trying, in chapter 3, tried to, to change the way we look at our leaders. And he says, don't look at them as these great men that have got these immense talents that are just... He said, look at them as waiters. Look at them as table waiters. Remember that? We talked about that a few, a few weeks ago. Now, today, Paul adds another description of these men, and he calls them stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, a steward is someone assigned to manage somebody else's business or property. Okay. Now, this was very common. I don't know how common it is today. I don't think it's probably as common today. But back then, it was very common that there were rich people and they, would, they had belongings in different lands and different countries where they couldn't be all the time. And so they would hire a steward or a manager to look over their business or their property or their homes while they were gone. And this is, was very common in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus used it in, in several of his teachings and parables. And one thing was always clear whenever Jesus talked about stewardship and that whenever you have a steward, you will always have a day of reckoning, a day of, of judgment. In Matthew 25, 19, in the parable of the talents, Jesus said this, After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So there's always this day of reckoning. In the parable of the unjust steward in Luke 16, Jesus said this to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. Okay. So anytime you have a steward, somebody that's managing somebody else's property, there's going to come a time where there's accounting. There's a day of reckoning. There's a, a day of, of judgment. And the fact is, is that we all, especially as Christians, but to be honest with you, all human beings, are you are a steward of the gifts God has given you. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. You see, if you're a Christian here today, God has given you certain gifts. And you are to use those gifts in service of others. And one day you will be called to account. 
And by the way, I, I used to think that, and I don't think this is right anymore, I used to think that when you got saved that God somehow gave you these gifts. But I don't believe that anymore. I believe you have these gifts when you're born. I believe God says he knew, he knew Jeremiah in the womb. He knew Paul. He said, I, I called you before you were, you were in your, I mean, when you were in your mother's womb. I don't think he gives them to you later. I think you're born with them. If you're an encourager or a teacher or a, a, a person that's merciful, I think you just have those gifts in you. The question is, are, we, are you using them for God or not for God? And we're all going to be called one day to give account for the gifts that we've been given. But in particular, Paul mentions in today's passage that every pastor and every teacher is a steward of God in a specific way. They are the stewards of the mysteries of God. Now you may ask the question, well, what, it, what are the mysteries of God? Well, the Greek word is mysterion. It means something hidden now revealed. And the Bible tells us that the mystery of God is Jesus Christ. Okay? Paul tells us that in Colossians 2, 2 through 3. He says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. You want to know what the mysteries of God are? Jesus Christ. Okay? In other words, you had this Old Testament, right? And God did all this stuff, and then one day he introduces Jesus, and Jesus said, you see that old, old Testament? It was all about me. If you go back and read the Old Testament today, you know you're not just reading a history book, you're reading a revelation of Jesus Christ all the way through the Bible. He is the mystery. And of course, in him details everything, right? Atonement and forgiveness and, and salvation. It's all wrapped up in, in him. Um, and in fact, it's all revealed in the word of God, is it not? Uh, Colossians 1, 25 to 26, Paul says... Uh, talking about the Word of God, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery of God is the work of God in, in Jesus Christ. So if there is a minister like Pastor Henry or a teacher like me, we are, we are called stewards of the, of the, of the mysteries of God. That means that pastors and teachers are to take God's revelation of Jesus Christ and all that entails, and we are to deliver it to the people, okay? Like a table waiter, right? And a good steward will make sure that it gets from the kitchen to the table without any changing. Can you imagine a, a waiter who gets the food out of the kitchen and he's going to the table? He says, man, I'm going to take this out and I'm going to throw a couple other things in. I mean, is that a good steward? No, a good table waiter, a good steward says, here's the food, and you get it to the table, and you don't mess it up on the way there. That's all we're called to do. We're not called to be innovative. We're not called to be creative. We're simply called to be obedient. One day I will be held accountable. Did you get the word from the Bible to the people the way I intended for them to hear it? Yes or no? It's a very simple question. That's what you're going to be held uh, accountable for. You mess it up, you'll be called to account for that. Okay? Now, Paul does not excuse himself from this requirement. Okay? He understands that one day he will be called to account for what he did, how he gave the word to the people of God. In fact, he says in verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, 
this is where judging comes into the equation because it only makes sense that as a steward of God's Word, as a steward of God's gifts, that we should evaluate ourselves from time to time, right? That we should judge ourselves from time to time to see are we being faithful, yes or no. I mean, it wouldn't make much sense, right, if I just lived my whole life and just said, well, one day I'll just let God figure it all out. No, you better be looking at yourself periodically. Am I doing right? Am I living right? Am I being a good steward? Now, this is where Paul, though, says a seemingly very odd thing. Look at verse 3. He says, but, he said, I know that I'm going to be called to account one day before God. I'm going to be called and I'm going to be required to be faithful. But watch what he says in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. Now, when I first saw that, I said, now, wait a minute, Paul, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you not be judging? You should be evaluating yourself. Why would you, why would you say that? So here's the question. Well, which is it? Do we judge ourselves or do we not judge ourselves? In fact, is Paul contradicting himself? Well, see, once again, this is why context matters so much. Okay, you cannot take verses out of their context. In fact, it's like the guy, have y'all heard about the guy who preaches on the fact that women shouldn't wear their hair on top of their head. Have y'all heard about this guy? So there's this guy that preaches that women shouldn't uh, wear their hair on top of their head. And the verse, he has a verse for that, and that's Matthew 24, 17, that says, Top knot, come down. Y'all never y'all ain't heard this? Really? Probably not, because I'm just making it all up, but I'm just giving you an example, right? But the verse is top not come down. Now, when you actually go read in context, it says, let the one who is on the housetop not come down, right? <laughs> See, the fact is, you can take anything in the Bible and you can twist it and you can make it mean anything you want to make it mean. Okay, as a steward of God, as a teacher, as a minister, we cannot handle the word deceitfully. There's too many, I can tell you this, there's too many preachers in this country that basically have an opinion and they get up to preach it, and they give you a verse to match their opinion, then they run off and preach their opinion. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to take the Word of God and get it to the people the way it was intended to be heard. That's our job. That's what will be held account. Not to be creative, not to be innovative, not to have great ideas or great opinions. Get the Word out of the Bible to the people in the way it's supposed to be heard. That's it. Nothing else. Don't twist it. Don't be deceptive. Don't find scriptures to back up what you think. It's got nothing to do with it. Give them the word, the way, it, and don't mess it up on the, on the way there. Now, in order to... So Paul says, I don't judge myself. Okay, well, let's read on to see what he's saying. Look at verse, uh, verse 4. He says, for... Now, that word for means because. It's a connecting word. He says, because... Why don't I judge myself? Because I'm not aware of anything against myself but he says that I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now I want you to show you something. What Paul is talking here is about the limitations of human judgment. You see, in fact, Paul has already judged himself. Look at his first statement. I'm not aware of anything against myself. Well, how can you make that statement if you haven't looked at yourself? Paul's saying, I've looked at myself. I've searched my heart. I've searched my life. I've looked at myself, and I don't find anything. I don't find anything I've done wrong. Everybody see that? That's what he said. I'm not aware of anything. I've looked at myself. But he realizes that his judgment is not final. 
His judgment is not the one that counts. You see, he may not find anything in himself, but that doesn't mean he's innocent of all wrongdoing. So he goes on to say, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. That doesn't mean I'm acquitted. See, I have judged myself. I have evaluated myself. I ain't find anything, but hey, that doesn't mean I'm innocent. You see, Paul realizes that his judgments, man's judgment, is always limited by our fallen nature. We can justify things within ourselves that we don't even know we're doing sometimes, you know. Um, but what he's saying here is the final word always belongs to God. I've evaluated myself. I don't find anything, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. The final judgment, it is the Lord who judges me. So what he's talking about here is the limitation of our judgment, okay? Now, let's step back for just a second. Paul has already pointed out in this letter several times how ridiculous it is to rank one person over another. Remember back in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6? He says, what is Apollos, or what is Paul? Servants, what's that word, servants? Table waiters, through whom you believe. In other words, God prepared the food, they picked it up, brought it to you, and you, you tasted the food, and it was great, and you believed, and you're going to think that the table waiter had something to do with that? They're just waiters. You believe through them, not because of them. Okay, Remember we talked about they're like a pipe that the water passes through. Pipe, we can be thankful for pipes, but it's the water that, that, that counts, right? So he says, what are they? They're table waiters through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's always God who gives the growth. In other words, Paul says to say that that man is superior to that man is not a judgment that we as human beings are qualified to make. Why? Because we don't have all the information. We can't see inside of them. All we can see is the outside. All we can see is the appearance. They look good, they sound good, but you've got no idea what's going on inside their heart. You don't know what their motives are. Okay? We, we can't see enough to make a qualified judgment. That's why in the next verse, Paul adds, therefore. In verse 5, he says, therefore. In other words, he's saying, because man's judgment is limited, because man can only see the outside, they can only see the appearance. And because God is the final judge of our actions and our words and our behavior, he says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see, our judgment is limited. It's limited by our fallen nature. It's limited by our knowledge. We don't have full knowledge. So he says, therefore, don't pronounce judgment. Don't pronounce final judgment before the time because God at some point is going to bring everything to light. Okay, And then at that point, everyone will get their commendation. Now, even as I say that, I need to add this. Okay, It is clear in the New Testament that when a person teaches false doctrine, we, are not, we do not only have the right to judge them, we have the obligation to judge them. Okay, let me show you a few scriptures on this. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test the spirits, whether they are from God, from many false prophets. What is a false prophet? There's somebody that says that God says something, but he's not saying it. They're speaking, saying God said this, but God didn't say that at all. He says, test them to see whether they're, they're real. Romans 16, 7, 
16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Folks, that's judgment. You understand that? That's looking at what they say and making a judgment. And he says, if they're teaching false doctrine, avoid them. Stay away from them. Um, how about this one? Titus 1, 10 through 14. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You got people in your church coming in, in your life groups, in your Bible studies, and they're teaching false doctrine and upsetting people. Paul says, silence them. Deal with it. Rebuke them sharply. Make a judgment on them. Okay? I'll give you one more. 2 John 1, 9 through 11. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching of Christ, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. Folks, that's judgment. Not only are we we have a right to judge those who are preaching against the, the true, sound doctrine of Christ. We are obligated to do it. Everybody, everybody with me there? Not just the right to do it, but you're obligated to do it. You have to do it. Okay? In the same way, it is also very clear, and we're going to see this in chapter 5, that when a minister in the church, or, by the way, any person who calls himself a Christian, is engaging in sin... We not only have the right to pronounce judgment, we also have the obligation to judge. Okay, we'll see this in chapter 5. And again, we're not going to get there today, but I want you to know there are times when we are called as Christians to judge other Christians. Okay, and we're going to see that more in chapter 5. But here's why I bring all this up. But in the case where you have two men, or a man and a woman, or two women, or whatever the case may be, and they are equally true in their doctrine, and they're equally true in their lifestyle, okay? then the fact is the Bible gives us no basis for judging them whatsoever. In fact, if you do judge them based on these arbitrary standards you come up with, the Bible says that's favoritism and that's a sin. James 2.9 says, If you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So does everybody see what I'm saying here? that if you've got a, a man or a woman or somebody in your church that's teaching false doctrine, engaging in, your, in, in some kind of sin, then we have the, the right and obligation to judge them. And we'll talk about that more in chapter 5. But if they're equally true in doctrine and they're equally sound in their lives, the Bible says you don't judge them, that you have no basis whatsoever for judging that person's better than that person and lining up behind them. You have no basis for doing that at all. In fact, if you do do it, he, they call it favoritism, and it's a sin. You see, we have no right to come up with these arbitrary human standards and say, well, that man's got a bigger church than that man. He must be better. That man's published a book. That man's got a Ph.D. behind his name. That man's got what... That has nothing to do whatsoever with the Bible. Paul says you, don't, you do not judge that way at all. That is what's called an arbitrary judgment. You don't see... You don't have enough information... You don't, can't see behind the scenes. That guy may have a Ph.D. because he wants people to pat him on the back and call him doctor. It's got nothing to do with God whatsoever. Don't judge based on those things. The, the, that type of judgment belongs to God alone because he's the only one 
that can see the hidden things of the heart. Again, we're not commanded to judge using arbitrary things, but we are commanded to judge correctly. John 7, 24, do not judge by appearance. Don't judge by the things you can see, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, as I said earlier, there are a lot of wrong ways to judge, but there is a right way, and Paul's going to tell us right now what that right way is. In chapter, um, chapter 4, verse 6, he said this, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us, read it with me, not to go beyond what is written. What's he saying? He's saying when you judge, you do not go beyond what is written in this book. There's a right way to judge, and the guidelines are in this book. If God says it, you can judge by that because you're agreeing with God. You don't ever step outside the book and say, well, I'm going to come up with these other standards. No, Paul says, do not go beyond what is written. Judging rightly, judging correctly, means you always agree with God. You go by what's written in the book. That's why a man can come in teaching false doctrine and we can judge because it's against this book. Remember what Paul said earlier? Don't let anybody judge you concerning days or festivals or things like that. Why would he say that? Because it's not in the book. The book doesn't say we have to worship on Sunday. Don't let anybody judge you like that. We do that out of tradition. That's, the only, that's, why, we, that's why we worship on Sunday. He said, don't let anybody judge you on that. That's not in the book. That's your business. Let, let, be fully convinced in your own mind. Don't go outside what is written. That is our guideline for judging um, ourselves and for others. You see, we are not to judge based on appearance. We're not to judge based on arbitrary human guidelines. We are to judge rightly, which means only using the standard of God's Word. Okay? You see, God sees things that we cannot see. And, 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 and by the way, just to give us another admonishment not to judge based on what we see, Paul reminds us that the things that you do see in somebody, even if you see a, 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 a talent or a gift, you need to understand that that talent or gift was given to them by God. They didn't do anything to earn it. That's what he says here in verse 7. Who makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And the, the answer to that is, I, everything I have I've received from God. If I've got a gift for speaking, I receive that from God. If I've got a gift for being able to get the, the word uh, from the Bible to the people, that's a gift from God. I did nothing to earn that. God did that. So why would you, why would you lift that person up as though they earned it or they did? He said, that's ridiculous. It's all based on God. Only judge, don't judge by appearances. Even when you can see really good things, don't judge by that because it's all a gift from God and, and, and you didn't receive it. So, I'm going to ask these final questions. What have we learned today? And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about judging. once we get, Chapter 4 is kind of coming to a close. In the first four chapters, Paul talks a lot about division because that was the big problem in, in the church and the reason he wrote the letter. But as we come to chapter 5, everything's going to start to change. And Paul's going to start dealing with things in the church, how they're judging one another, how they should judge one another or not judge one another. He's going to deal with uh, uh, how they're handling the Lord's Supper. He's going to deal with all kind of different issues. He's going, to get down to, he's going to get down where the rubber meets the road. 
but today he begins with judging. And so what have we learned from today's lesson? Are we to judge ourselves and others? Well, absolutely, yes, we are. We always, we are to judge others, but we always start where? We always start with ourselves. Jesus said, first, take the log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. By the way, go back and read that. He doesn't say, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. He never says that. He says, get the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to judge rightly. But you can't judge rightly as long as you've got problems in your own life. You can't see clearly. So yes, we are to judge others, but we are to always start with ourselves. Uh, how are we to do it? Not by appearances, but only by the Word of God. I, I've mentioned this, y'all, I think I've mentioned this in some of my lessons before. I had a friend of mine that uh, attended a church in uh, South Florida, down in Fort Lauderdale, and it was a, I think it was a Calvary Chapel, and they had, I don't know, 10,000 members, 12,000 members. It was a huge church. And one of the problems they had was that they didn't have enough staff to counsel. You know, they didn't have enough church staff to handle all the counseling. So what they did is they started finding couples in the church, and they would train couples to be counselors. And uh, I remember asking him one day, because him and his wife had been trained as counselors, and I said, man, that's got to be hard, because how do you know what to answer? And he said, well, he said, it's really not that hard because they train you that every answer comes out of this book. In other words, it's got nothing to do with your opinion. It's got nothing to do with what you think. You're not asked to be creative or innovative or have an idea or even an opinion. <laughs> if, if they come to you with problems, you deal with the problem out of this book. See, that's where we start. We don't judge by appearances. We judge only by the Word of God because when we do that, we're agreeing with God. Right? We're not just coming up with our own guidelines. We're agreeing with Him. Is, but at the same time, always understand your judgment will always be limited. You can't ever pronounce a final judgment because only God sees the hidden things of the heart. Only He has the, the, the final say in things. Okay? Now, I tried to finish this up a little early this morning because I thought... <laughs> There might be some questions because this is a difficult subject. I think some people have so ingrained in themselves that we're not to judge. And that's never what the Bible says. It says we are to judge rightly. Okay. So are there any questions this morning? If not, we can get out of here a little bit early and have some extra free time. But are there any questions with regards to, to judging how, when, or why? Anything I've said that you think, man, I don't really quite agree with that? Anybody? It's okay. That's right. So, so the, the, when we go through a judge, if you, if you kind of try to make it a process, the first thing we always do is we judge ourselves, right? That's number one. Because how can you, if, I mean, literally, remember what Jesus said, if you've got this big log sticking out of your eyes, how can you see clearly? It's like a blind leading the blind. You can't tell somebody else what to do when you're not doing it yourself. right? In fact, you remember in Romans, and we'll bring this up in a couple weeks, Paul actually said, when you judge somebody else, you condemn yourself because you're doing the same things they're doing. See, that's what he's saying. You, you, you're not even qualified to judge. You're just condemning yourself because you're doing the same things they're doing. So the very first thing we have to do is we have to judge ourselves. 
we have to look at ourselves. We have to evaluate ourselves to make sure that we're right with God, to make sure that I'm not judging somebody else for doing the exact same thing that, that I'm doing. Okay? I mean, you have to judge yourself. If I, if I see a man that's cheating on his wife and committing adultery, right, but yet I, maybe I'm not cheating, but I'm, I'm sitting in front of a computer every night looking at pornography, who am I to judge? I'm doing the same thing he's doing. I'm just not committing the action, but in my mind, I've already done it. That's, that's not. Deal with myself first. Clean yourself up first before you ever have the right to judge. By the way, when we get over into Galatians, Paul will say, when, when, when someone in the church has sinned and you restore them, you, you don't just pick anybody to restore them. You pick people that are mature. You pick people that are, are, you know, you just don't let anybody do it. You let the right people do it. Okay, and we'll talk about that as more as we get into chapter 5. Well, so we'll, okay, so we'll get in, when we get into chapter 5, if you've got an unbeliever, and Paul says, when I, we'll get into this in a few weeks in chapter 5, Paul writes a letter, and he says, don't consort with people who are um, sexually immoral. That's what he writes. He says, don't, don't have anything to do with sexually immoral people. Then he writes another letter, and he says, when I said that, I didn't mean the world. I didn't mean unbelievers. I meant people in the church. In other words, what he's telling us there is if I see an unbeliever and that person is living with somebody, let's say, or whatever the case may be, they're committing some sin, is their problem that sin? No, that's not their problem. In fact, let's just say you could somehow get them to get married and live rightly and they still die and go to hell. Paul says that's not their problem. You don't judge them in that case. They're, and we'll talk about this in chapter 5, with an unbeliever, we're supposed to bring them the truth to bring them... You see what I'm saying? It's not the sin. That's not their problem. That's, a, that's the, the symptom of a corrupted heart. So for them, we bring them the gospel. We don't bring judgment on them. To be quite honest with you, we spend... I, I know the, we spend so much time railing against homosexuality and railing against all these things for all these unbelievers. And if, and if we could clean it all up, we might, the world might be a nicer place, but they'd all still go to hell. That, we got no business judging unbelievers for their sins. That's, that's not any, we're not called to do that. We're supposed to bring them the truth. Okay, so that's number one. Is the person a believer or is the person an unbeliever? If the person is unbeliever, we bring them the truth. We don't bring them judgment for their actions. That's, that's got, we could clean it up. Like I said, they're still going to die. Does that make sense to everybody? We'll talk about that in more in chapter 5. If the person says they are a Christian, that changes everything. Okay. Now, I don't want to jump too far ahead because when we get to chapter 5, we're going to cover this. But the Bible clearly teaches us that if someone, Paul says, named a brother... That means this person self-identifies as a Christian. Yes, I am a Christian, and they are in your church. And we see them committing sin. Then absolutely, we are to go to them. First, we can go by ourselves. Then we can go with two or three witnesses. And if they still don't turn, the Bible says, bring them before the whole church. Call them out. 
That, that's a scary thing. Can you imagine if we started calling people out? What would happen? We said starting next week we're going to call people out. Well, next Sunday we'd have 28 people here, right? They, nobody else would go. Where'd everybody go, right? So again, I don't want to jump too far ahead on this because we're going to cover all this in, in chapter 5. What we need to understand today is first and foremost, judge yourself. First and foremost, evaluate yourself. And when, when it, it does call for judging, we always judge within the guidelines of this book. Okay? Does it always mean you're going to go to that person and, and say, look at this right here? Well, that, that depends, right? Depends, are they a believer? Does it mean if they're an unbeliever? Does it mean that if there's somebody in this church that should you go to that person or should you go to Pastor Henry and get Pastor Henry to go? We'll talk about those, those things as we, as we move through. But I don't want to... I don't want to jump too far ahead this morning. Okay? Anybody else? Any other questions that I can actually answer? Yes, Seneca. Keep tuning in. Yeah, it's like it's like a teaser, right? I put out a teaser, and I listen. I'm telling you, once we get out of chapter four, we're going to confront some hard subjects. We're going to confront some hard subjects. In fact, we're going to confront some things that Paul tells us to do that we don't really do anymore. To be honest with you, we don't really do them, even though he tells us to do them. So we're going to confront that um, and deal with it because we have to. We can't get around it. That's the thing about going through a book, by the way, is when you get to a subject that's kind of hard, you can't just, well, let me just skip over this. I can't come in next week and say, you know what, folks, I, I'm not really going to teach on verses 10 through 15 because I ain't got no idea what it means. You can't do that. You, you, get, you get in it. You, even though you don't really maybe understand it 100%, you still struggle with it. You still grab a hold of it and try to understand what... See, my job, as I always said, my job is to get it out of the kitchen and get it here in the same way God intended it, not to change it. That's all I can do, okay? And then we struggle with that. Anybody else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you take this subject of judging and you, over the next few weeks, as we begin to wrestle with this subject, help us to be good judges. Help us to judge rightly. I can tell you that right now in this room, including myself, we all judge incorrectly. We all make assumptions. We all have opinions. We all judge based on appearances. We're all judging the wrong way. But, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That doesn't mean that all judging is wrong. There is a right way, and you lay out that way for us. Help us to have the courage. Uh, help us to have the, uh, the self-examination, to be able to look at ourselves and find and evaluate within ourselves when we're doing wrong and help us to turn and do it the right way. We love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you that for that man, Paul, that 2,000 years ago wrote this stuff down, and even today his life is still serving us and having an impact on us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us into these, these uh, scriptures and explaining them to us and helping us understand them. Uh, we just pray again for the service today that your will would be done and everything that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank